Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Today, I am joined by Mariko Tamaki, the author of the new uh, Harley Quinn, Breaking Glass. Also, this one summer, uh, Laura Dean won't stop uh, breaking up with me. Uh, so many books, so many novels, so many comics, so many things. Uh, Mariko, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Yes, we've been talking about having you as a guest for years. Your cousin, yes. Jillian, has been on several times, actually. And so we had to get all the Tamakis on. <laughs> yes. And if you don't have all the Tamakis, then it's like, it's not cool. <laughs> exactly. And then you have to get my other cousin, Lauren Tamaki, who's also an illustrator on. And oh. then you'll have all the Tamaki. Oh, I did not know of the third Tamaki. Wow. There is a third Tamaki. It's, uh, we try to keep it a secret, but she's very public about her <laughs> presence. So yes, there's a third Tamaki as well. Well, excellent. All right. Well, we'll start scoping that out. Um, yes. so Mariko, Harley Quinn. Uh, yes. yet another iconic character to take a crack at. Uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> so tell us about how you became involved with this project. Um, well, I had done uh, Supergirl Being Super with Joelle Jones, and that was a really positive experience at a really good time. Uh, and then I was uh, invited to the DC offices, and they were like, do you want to do something else that's kind of similar? And I, of course, did. Uh, as soon as possible. Uh, and so I think I was even given like a, like, you know, like when they open their like, like toy trunk and they're like, which one of these things like do you want to play with? And I was like, I want to do Harley Quinn immediately. I was like, this is it. This character, this is the best. It's going to be so good. Uh, and I had also just finished, uh, the Flintstones comic, uh, by Mark Russell and Steve Pugh. And I was like, and I want Steve Pugh to illustrate it. Oh, wow. Good call. I was like, this guy, this is the guy to do this comic. Because I, when I saw the Flintstones, I saw like, oh, like the physicality of taking something so kind of iconic and something that you sort of know and turning that into a person, which is so hard to do. I was like, this is the thing that makes this feel real, that takes this person that we know is this like kind of like, you know, red, blue hair, kind of like jester costume. I was like, this is the thing that will make it that will make her look like a teenager is this guy's incredible skill. Uh, and actually it was like one of those things where it took a long time to get like a final yes, but it was like, we were pretty much good to go. Everything that I initially pitched was, you know, went, went through and was fine. So it's kind of a dream project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Steve's work is, is insanely good. Um, and he is insanely good. And, um, I mean, that was an amazing, you know, like, like, just you know brilliant call on your part because he really does um you know take it from the realism of a teenage girl to you know let's be like harley quinn is such a outsized larger than life character you know uh and i mean I, i mean that had to be a bit of a challenge too right i mean it was definitely i mean it was a question of how do you take somebody who is you know, like in some ways very cartoony, right? Like is this very, and her kind of mannerisms and her way of being are sort of all over the top. Um, and I just tried to think of like that in a human being, like that in a person that is your friend and what that would look like. Um, and I think part of it was also expanding her story to understanding her as a kid and sort of seeing that she has kind of always been this thing, that she has always been this like larger than life, silly, but serious, 
like marching to the beat of her own drum person. Um, and then as soon as I kind of got that like younger part of her, I felt like the sort of teenage version of her made more sense to me. Right. Um, and also we tried to keep it very sort of narratively like focused, like that what she looks like in the beginning is where she's at the beginning of the story. So she's got this kind of like jeans and a sweater and a gym bag situation to start. And then everything that she kind of accrues throughout the story is stuff that she is meeting people, being influenced by people, like having, you know, she has this experience with relation to the gorilla girls and that informs sort of other thoughts that she has so that everything that she ultimately becomes when she gets to that point that she's the Harley Quinn that you recognize, all of that has been built into the experiences that she's had. Um, and I think sticking with that as opposed to thinking like you're writing a Harley Quinn story was much easier. Right. Well, why, just to go back a little bit, I mean, obviously Harley has become one of the most popular characters, you know, from the comic book world over the last decade, really. Um, what do you think makes her so popular? I think there's like a blissful imperfection to Harley. You know, like I think that somebody who is so, um, so self-confident, so detached from the sort of norm, like social norms and from like any real concern about what people think about her, I think is very infectious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, she's larger than life, which we love in superheroes, but she's flawed and larger than life. Like whereas somebody like, you know, Superman, uh, you know, you kind of have a sense of what Superman is going to do, right? Like, right. he's probably going to save the day. If you go out for dinner with Superman, it's probably going to pay for it, you know? <laughs> Versus, like, if you go out for dinner with Harley Quinn, maybe she'll pay for it. Maybe she'll just, like, not like the meal and, like, skip out of the check. Like, that level of unpredictability, I think, is very appealing. And I think it's appealing in a modern way. Like, I think our sort of, like, I think our taste in superheroes, you know, so it's sort of gone more of like a Deadpool, Harley Quinn direction uh-huh. because this idea of a faultless, perfect person who is like shiny haired and is never going to do any wrong feels, I think, you know, in discord with where we're sort of at right now. Right. Absolutely. I do think there's a big reason why they're kind of the two big breakouts characters. Yes. You know, totally. of, of our times. <laughs> uh, and it's sort of like they're both better, right? They're aware of the superhero names, but they're not really into them. And I think that that is, you know, I think that makes sense right now. Uh, right. Um, so had you been a fan of the character beforehand? Or had you, you know, had you read the any of the, um, you know, Amanda Connor run, as I like to call yes. it? <laughs> the Amanda Connor run, yes. Uh, I mean, I tried to, I think it was the same with, like, when I did the Supergirl stuff, like, I feel like I, I'm a little wary, I think because of, I'm, I'm aware of the impact of fandom, uh-huh. of writing a character that I'm too close to, you know, because then you kind of just want to keep them where they're at, you know, like, I, for example, uh, like, there's just various superheroes that I wouldn't want to write just because I'm, like, a fan of them now uh-huh. uh or like you know like i could probably never write like a batman because i feel like that is like a character that i love so much all the sort of like existing batman lore uh-huh. um so i had read a little but i hadn't i wasn't like a i wasn't like too literate uh-huh. uh right. in terms of like the, the complete back catalog right um, so you, let's go back, just back up just a little bit, because, um, I mean, you started out as a prose writer, 
Um, I mean, yeah. it started out. You had a claim as a prose writer. You know, you were a very respected writer of YA novels. And um, I think your first graphic novel was Skim, which was the, the yeah. uh, collaboration with Jillian. Um, and, but you were a comics fan reading up, uh, growing up, correct? I mean, I was a, I was a reading person. Mm-hmm. I didn't read as many comics as I read prose because I was kind of a Canadian literary nerd. Mm-hmm. So there were some graphic novels that I was like definitely very attached to and had read more of, uh, more graphic novels than comics. Um, and actually like it's been the past like 10 years more that I have become like more of a comic book person. Right. Well, so they have like, yeah. Thing I was going to say though, that, I mean, what attracted you to the skim, you know, what was it that made you want to tell that the story, you know, that particular story as a, as a comic? I mean, it like really was, it was offered to me as a, as an option. There was a woman that I knew who ran a, a magazine called Kiss Machine her name was Emily Poweary. She was the editor of this magazine. And she was like, do you want to do a graphic novel or a comic? Because I'm starting to do these for this magazine. And I was, I mean, I think growing up in Toronto as an artist, I was always kind of doing things that I had never done before. I mean, I started off in prose. I did theater because someone gave me an opportunity to write a play. So it was more like a why not type of mm. thing than like a this is like my goal. Right. Uh, and then as soon as I did skim <laughs> and I saw what was available in the medium, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, oh, this is a great way to write stories. I love working with artists. I love collaborating because especially like coming from theater, I'm so into that part of the process. So it was almost like it found me. And oh. then I became like, then I was like, you know, you complete me. <laughs> Like, looking across the room at it like you and I from now on. Well, that's funny you say that because um, I I feel like you're just such a natural. And um, oh, thank you. Yeah, but I mean, you know, just uh, as I was reading Harley, uh, I, you know, I mean, just the way it flows is so you you got it, you got it down, you know. And I mean, believe me, I've seen some writers come in. And, uh, it's, you know, a lot of the best writers of comics nowadays did start out as cartoonists, you know, like Ed Brubaker or even, you know, Brian Bendis. Sure. And, um, yeah. there's actually fewer who started out coming from a prose, the prose world such as yourself. So you're kind of, you know, uh, you know, a role model. <laughs> well, but, I've also had like a long education in it. Like I feel like I, first of all, working with someone like Jillian, like if you're going to start working right. in comics, like pretty great place to start, right? Like working with someone who's like a genius at it. Uh, so I had that experience and seeing the way that she took the script that I gave her and turning that into a graphic novel and then seeing that process again in this one summer, I, uh, you know, I have worked with amazing editors and I've had just like such an incredible collection of editors like Joan Hilty, mm-hmm. who was just so fundamental in explaining like serial comics to me, like explaining what it was to make something 22 pages as opposed to 300. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, when I started working in comics, I started on a Ninja Turtles and uh, <laughs> with Irene Crow, and it was hard. Like, I think if you look at my first comic, you'd be like, oh, Brinko had a rough start. <laughs> like it was, it was like going to 22 pages and figuring out how to do what I had gotten used to doing in graphic novels on a sort of smaller scale. Um, has been really a challenge and I'm really lucky in that I have been paired with 
like some of the most amazing artists and comics I've gotten to work with and that I love like, you know, like how much of comics is in the editing and the lettering phase uh-huh. is in seeing what comes, what the page looks like and figuring out, okay, well, this is what I thought I was going to put on this page, but now this page is this and I can change it. Like, uh-huh. you know, just to be, I think being flexible is not a thing that people associate with the artistic, with being an artist, right. but really for comics, it's, it's kind of, you know, essential. Right, right. Well, I do think writing 22 page, you know, monthly periodicals is probably the hardest part of comics because, you know, yeah, well, especially today, you know, and I mean, having that kind of instinctive grasp again of, you know, just what the pacing is or everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely something you have to learn and get better at. And um, so, but I mean, you, aside from, uh, you know, your graphic novel work you have, you've, you've written, boy, so many characters. You wrote She-Hulk and, um, Tomb Raider and, you know, like you said, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, um, so you obviously, you, you, you know, you, you seem to be pretty comfortable doing it now. Yeah. And I think it's like really, uh, and it's funny because I feel like with the sort of longer projects like the Supergirl being super and with the Harley Quinn project, it's kind of a nice, uh, like in, in some ways it's using the skills and like the things that I've learned in, you know, in terms of, terms of writing superhero comics. And also marrying it with like my love, which is these kind of, you know, identity stories that relate to teenagers. Right. So it's really like my most comfortable spot. And I feel like, uh, like, you know, like I, if I had like a sign on my friends, I'd be like, you know, teenage superhero <laughs> story, acquire within. Like I would be like, <laughs> it's something I can see myself doing. Like, and I always find something new. I always find something fascinating. There is so much like leeway or room to grow in mm-hmm. like the different kinds of superheroes, like writing someone like X23 versus writing something like this. Like, you know, I think that there's a kind of notion that there's like superhero comics, but really if you read them, you know that there's so many different ways to do oh, it. Yeah. And I'm also like such a fan of all the people who are, you know, doing these things right now. Like I feel like I'm in such good company for the people who are writing uh, you know, superhero comics like now, like what Rainbow Roll's been doing with the Runaways, mm-hmm, like right. it's just awesome. Right, right, yeah. Well, there are there's so many, yeah. There's so many different versions. You know, I was just writing something about Grant Morrison doing, you know, Green Lantern, and and there couldn't be any bigger difference between <laughs> those two takes. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, so much of your work is is tied up in, I guess, identity. You know, or yeah. discovering. I guess you know this one summer is uh kind of one of the essential books about you know that that summer of discovery that's why it's yeah. called this one summer but you know this that's is it. such a universal um you know experience i mean it's 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 archetypal it's it's something that that you know almost everyone can relate to in some way um yeah. and but i mean a lot of your work seems to be about you know those moments of discovery including harley quinn breaking glass yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was funny because once we got into the sort of story and I worked with Marie Javins was the editor and just really thinking about, you know, like to tell a teenage story that's about the kind of anti-hero teenage story, like what it means to sort of like unpack that experience. And as soon as we sort of understood the sort of triad of the Joker on one side 
and Ivy on the other and Harley in the middle. Like some one person, like this character of Ivy who is this activist, who is somebody who understands history, who understands like the sort of dynamics of oppression and all of these things. And this other person who is just wants to break glass and make chaos. Mm, right. And, like have this character in the middle, but deciding between the two of them, uh, I was like, that's actually like, you know, it's almost funny when you realize like, oh my God, that's such a great teenage story. Like, <laughs> I thought it was just going to be her and drag queens. And then as soon as we sort of figured out uh, that other piece of it, I was like, oh, that's actually really, you know, really cool. Like I, like I literally just pitched it as Harley and drag queens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then once we got into it, like, you know, you always sit down to start writing and you're like, oh, I guess I need more than that because I'm on page five and we've kind of done that already. So right, that's right. <laughs> something else. Um, and I think he's been, you know, talking to Steve about like his process, like how much he sort of discovered in the drawing of it, like these like bits of this character and, you know, the other thing about this was that because we were sort of getting drawings as they went, like, you know, we were sort of doing drawings in chunks as we were sort of, as I was finishing mm-hmm. writing. Right. I was so inspired by just like the facial expressions that he was giving her and just all this personality that he was giving her. Like from the first couple of pages, you totally understand. Right. Like that this person that that was just like so much fun to work with too. Oh yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, just the level of, of expression and, you know, uh, humanity he brings to the characters. Also the color scheme, you know, I, yeah. did he do all the coloring himself too? <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, yeah. And he was saying this little thing about, about like the sort of meaning of the red and how red is this, like, you know, this, like there's actually a storyline to the color red. If you kind of follow it through the comic in terms of like red being power, uh-huh. um, which I was like, okay, well, now I have to go back and read it again because I didn't see that. Um, but I feel like I've always been paired with artists who all write a scene that's like, so-and-so is in the kitchen with her parents. And then it's like with Supergirl being super, the first time I saw Joelle Jones' drawing of uh, Kara's kitchen, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, like you realize all the work that you're, you know, like a simple line is like in the kitchen becomes like, like a week long project of drawing right. this kitchen. Right. Um, and I'm so grateful. Like, I feel like I have just been like such, such a lucky person to work with these people that I'm so, I have so much admiration for. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I, you know, that's the main reason why people like Ed Brubaker and uh, Brian Bendis don't draw comics anymore. They figured out how much easier it was just to write down, you know, Kara enters the kitchen. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Kara yeah. enters the kitchen angry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, let's talk a little bit about, I know I'm kind of jumping around here, but you know. Yeah, you, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, you, what about the Joker? You know, so how was, yeah. you know, how did that start out? I mean, let's be honest. There has been a lot of talk about Harley and the Joker and their relationship and how it, it really does reflect a, you know, a very toxic reality. Um, and which yeah. is something you actually, uh, wrote about in Laura Dean Can't Stop Breaking Up With Me. Um, right. but, but you know, so there is a lot of, you know, concern or, you, you know, toxicity about this. And so how did you, you know, what was your first thoughts about how to, you know, bring this in? Well, as I was looking at, I mean, I try not, like I said, I try not to be too tied to the sort of, like, 
I try to be tied to the character, not to the story. Uh-huh. And to me, the story of Harley and the Joker never meshed with my understanding of the character. For me personally, uh-huh. uh, this idea of somebody who is like just like uh, so molded and the creation of somebody who is sort of hell bent on like in, in destruction and even her destruction in some ways, like just that, like just the toxicity of it. And mm-hmm. just that always seemed like for me, it was a discordant note. Um, you know, and I, I get, Oh, sorry. Someone's backing up outside my house. Uh, <laughs> which they are often because mm-hmm. I live next to a factory of sorts. Oh, um, nice. So I think that that just never gelled with me. And so I wanted to do something that felt, yeah, I mean, I knew that I wanted her to be part of her life and I wanted her to have a meaningful role in her life. Uh-huh. Um, but then as I started to sort of play it out, I just thought like, yeah, the, the Joker is chaos, right? Like the Joker is, and is like, uh, like, yeah, chaos. Yeah. And so yeah. how does that fit with Harley and who Harley is? She, if she's not like, you know, that if she is somebody who also wants to break windows mm-hmm. uh, and just like get revenge and just like hurt the people who are hurting the people that she loves, that that would make sense to her. And I just thought of like, yeah, like, you know, like very much like in Laura Dean, like how you get connected to these people in terms of what they mean to you and in terms of what they sort of offer you for your like, you know, then current understanding of the world. Right. Um, so I tried to just kind of fixate on that. And I did not say anything to Steve. I think I was like probably in terms of the Joker's character design, it was probably the thing that I gave the least information to Steve about because I was like, well, here's this character sort of here's who they are, you know, like I want him to be obviously the Joker, uh-huh. like it's clearly the Joker. Um, and then when I saw the design, I was like, that is the scariest thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think it was like the one moment where I was like almost taken aback by how freaky he looks. I was just like, okay, that's like a little much for me. Holy shit. Um, so yes, that was like a, a moment and I, I love it. Like I think it's, I feel like it's fully Steve's creation and it feels like, like the way it kind of sneaks up on you is kind of perfect because it sort of snuck up on me, you know? Yeah, so right, right. I felt like that worked so well. Sorry. It did. It, it, you know, it did. It really just, um, you know, I can't, I, I was really, uh, stunned by just Steve's imagination in this book. I mean, you know, he is kind of a cartoonist, cartoonist, you know, a lot of people admire him, but I, I sure hope he gets, you know, even more recognition because he's just, yeah, yeah he's just amazing in this. You know, you, uh, just to kind of put a little more perspective too. Now you were also part of, the minx line weren't you yes yes, yes. i was <laughs> yes you were you were yet another pioneer uh with yes. amico superstar as i recall yeah and mm-hmm. uh so you know for listeners who don't go back to the aughts this was a early groundbreaking pioneering but just a little too soon attempt yeah. to do graphic novels for younger girl readers for teen readers And it was laughed at and hated and reviled. And, you know, the whole concept was just, this will never fly. And indeed, it was too soon. Um, But now a lot has changed. (laughs) What have you you seen from your spot on the front lines of how 
we, you know, this became not only possible, but like expected? I mean, I think that probably, uh, like even like the first, I think Skim, when we published Skim with Brownwood Books in Canada, I think we were their first graphic novel. Like we were the first book that they published that was being distributed by Diamond, uh-huh. you know, like that needed to be distributed by Diamond or, you know, at least in part. So I think that there was kind of the, it was the beginnings of the literary world taking on graphic novels and publishing graphic novels. And so that content was just starting to become part of the YA market, like graphic novels as the YA market was just starting. And I think that the Minx line kind of landed somewhere in the middle of there, right? It was like, where do you put these books? Right. Where do they fit in a comic book store? Also, they're DC comics, but there's no superheroes in any of them. They really were like something that you would probably see published by... Scholastic, you know, like they were, or like what even for a second would do now. So they were kind of like an odd pairing for what was already out there. Right. Then, you know, you have, you know, like all of uh, Raina Tegelmeyer's books and you have all the things that Scholastic has done. Then you have, you know, first second and first second becoming, you know, this kind of powerhouse in terms of YA content. Uh-huh. And you have, the sort of rise of YA content in comics as being a thing, as being like like a part of the market. And so I think that that was, but at the same time, I think that the, like, you know, certainly Shelley Bond, who was a, that was like her baby. It was. Like, was like, was like the right notion. Was mm-hmm. like, why don't we make comics that are these, that are sort of the same stories that we see as, you know, being popular in like YA, in the world of YA. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so funny because when I did Minx, I didn't even know the term YA. And Chika <laughs> Tassaluchi was the person who was like, well, this is a YA book. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And she looked at me like, you're so sad. <laughs> like, what's going on with you? I was like, I'm just not following. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, yeah, people like Shelley Bond, people like Cecil, who have been like sort of working in comics like this forever, uh, you know, have were sort of like ahead of the game in terms of that. Like, I... I think saw that kind of YA content as being like a graphic novel thing. And I was a little slow to sort of see the potential for it in like, as like a comic thing. Now that I know, I mean, of course I know that they're the same thing, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of history. Um, And now it's kind of just a given, you know, like now you have, you know, like when I look at the panels that I'm on, like when you go to, you know, DC comic or, San Diego Comic-Con or any of the cons, like, that is a part of the sort of paneling is is talking about these kinds of books. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it is, you know, it's just become this incredibly natural and, you know, beloved thing. And, you know, we all hail Queen Raina, you know, because she kind of got it going uh, yeah. with, with Smile. But, I mean, Cecil as well, you know. Uh, I mean, you and Cecil both kind of got, you know, cut your teeth on Minx, which was, you know, a difficult but laudable uh, uh, achievement. And, you know, now here we are like 10 years later, and um, it's it's one of the hottest genres in comics. Now, did you see in your own career, did you, or, you know, just in the people that you talked to, did you see kind of people who might be, it sounds like with Groundwood, when you did Skim, it was sort of like, oh, this is trendy, uh, let's give it a shot. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm Canadian, so I I have a very tunnel vision view of it. Like, 
I loved doing skin and I was like, can we just keep doing these? These are really cool. I want to keep doing these. Uh, and then like I did skim and then I did Amico superstar and then I did this one summer. Um, and I think that I, yeah, like I just, I've always seen that I want to do something else like what I've just enjoyed doing. And I try not to think of it beyond that too much. Right. I mean, I will say like, uh, Amico Superstar was my introduction to working for a comic book company right. that had like rules about how to write a script. And like with me and Shelly Bond over the phone with her explaining like tears <laughs> to me, <laughs> uh, which is something that I had to like, was like, and also just like even the sort of cinematic property of it. She was the first person who said to me like, you need to have, cause I was very used to just sort of giving over complete control and she was like, you need to be able to explain your vision. Mm-hmm. Like, this is your story. I need to be able to see it to give it an okay. So you need to get better at, like, explaining what you're talking about. Instead uh-huh. of just being like, all of this takes place in so-and-so's room, you need to show me what we're going to see. The artist can change, like, you know, the artist can make their own decisions about it, but you need to know what you're talking about. So that was a really, uh, Shelly Bond was definitely. Right. Really Shelly's comic that. school. That's, that's important. Yeah. Yeah, um, she gave me a whole binder. Like, I remember a huge binder showed up in my house one day that had, like, all of this stuff in it. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to study for this? Cause, wow. wow crazy. Well, what was in the binder? I think it was, like, pages. And it was, like, a, I think it was a Bill Willingham script was in there. Uh, Fable script, I think, was in there. in terms. Of, and, of course, I was like, uh, this is, like, 800 pages long. She's right. like, wait on that. But, uh, I mean, he's, his comic scripts are incredible. And I've since then gotten to read like I got to read a Gene Yang script one time and see the way a cartoonist writes a comic book script versus the way I write a comic book script I feel like I am so like ready to be wrong when I'm describing a visual <laughs> like right. maybe it's this but maybe it's not but this is what I'm picturing and uh, he seems much more sure of himself well uh, it's, it's, also, it's funny comic- oh go on I'm sorry no go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, it's funny that, you know, Shelly had her kind of like, um, you know, uh, instruction manual, because when I was edited, I edited kids' comics, but I had like this little, little Lulu digest, and when people were like, how do I do this? I'm like, just read this whole book. If you haven't figured it out by then, you're not going to be able to do it. So, <laughs> so you know. Like a, it is like a long, it is an educational journey mm-hmm. to learn how to write comics. I feel like I'm still learning. Like even since I started writing more, you know, even like writing 20 pages of comics, like when they're like, it's 20 pages as opposed to 22, I'm like, 20 pages? Ugh. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Well, I, I will say you've been blessed with great collaborators, but, um, you know, even on this one, even on this one summer, I mean, you know, let's be honest, you know, Jillian's incredible art on that was the first yeah. thing that people noticed about the book because it's sure. a, it's a masterpiece. But I yeah. often f- pointed out to people, it's like, you need to point it, pay attention to how well written this book is. Because, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, first off, the dialogue was, you know, so great and so well written. I mean, you, you have characters, your characters don't really speak, you know, so much colloquially. You know, they kind of write in, in quotable quotes. You know, they speak in that way, but I, I think it really works for the kind of stories that you're telling. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, like it's, it's such a hard thing to explain to. Like, I feel like I try not to think too much about like how I write dialogue because it's, you know, 
I think it's a thing that I enjoy writing so much that it is like, and I'm super, you know, it's great to write in a medium where the thing that you love the most about writing is the thing that's the most important for you in that moment. Like, so yeah, I mean, I feel like I, uh, I also just, you know, like I read, um, like I was rereading Southern Bastards and just the way like Jason, uh, like writes dialogue as opposed to the way I do it. Like I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by the different ways that we all have of writing in the same medium. Right. That's right. But I mean, it's very distinctive, you know, I mean, yeah. like Jason is a, is a great example actually of somebody who has a very distinctive way, you know, Brian Azzarello, his characters talk, you know, very different ways. And, right. and yeah, I mean, it is, I mean, that's one of the joys of, you know, it, I do feel like it's, you know, they call it the age of the writer, the comics writer, but, uh, the actual comics that are well written are, you know, there's a sliding scale. <laughs> and what makes a good, what makes a good comic writer is there's so many different levels to it, especially for people, yeah. again, such as yourself who don't draw. You know, for Gene Yang, yeah. it's like, you know, he's a great cartoonist and he's got the whole package, you know, or Raina, she's got the whole package, you know. Or Vera Brasco, oh, like, yeah. uh, which was my favorite comic of last oh, year. Yeah. I so, I sent her a text, uh, Instagram message. I was five pages into the comic and I was like, I just needed to tell you that I am obsessed with this comic and I love it. And she just wrote back and said, that's a very early review. (laughs) I'm only five pages in, but I love this comic. So I finished it and I was like, I'm still in love with this comic. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great time for, and I feel like too, like these, these books, like the Cammy's book and, uh, the, uh, under the moon book like I feel like this is the perfect time for these books too mm-hmm. like I feel right. like this is the time when we're sort of like ready for like a superhero version of these YA stories right. in comic book form it just feels like awesome yeah and it seems to be something that really speaks to readers today well I see we're almost out of time so one last question oh, um, sure. are you more Harley Quinn in your future maybe uh, not right at the moment, but I tried to leave the book with like a door for like a second book if that was to happen. Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't turn it down, especially if a Steve recently said that he would happily do another book. And I was like, okay, well then I would <laughs> definitely do it if Steve got to do it with me. Um, I'm currently working on a book, which is like the sort of working title is I am not Starfire. So it's mm-hmm. the, uh, Yes, it's sort of a similar approach, but with the sort of uh, superhero adjacent character as opposed to superhero. Ah, okay. Well, that sounds yeah. in- intriguing. Um, and any other uh, ongoing projects or stuff that you're working on? Uh, I'm working on a bunch of Archie comics. I'm working on uh, a Spider-Man and Venom comic now, and... Uh, I have a prose novel, which my editor will be happy to know I'm planning on finishing by the Prose takes so much longer than comic. Uh, wow. That's, uh, see, there you go. That's, um. Well, also says it's a murder mystery called Who Will Live. It's titled Who Will Live. Mm-hmm. And murder mysteries take longer because you have to know who did it. That's, uh, that's so true. That has been my struggle. And, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of other things that will be announced hopefully soon. So well, I'm I trying think, to keep busy. Well, I think people are really going to enjoy, uh, your take on, on Harley Quinn with Harley Quinn breaking glass. And, um, I hope so. yeah, you and Steve, uh, you know, uh, uh, did a great job on it. So, uh, well, Mar- Mar- Mariko, thank you so much for taking the thank time you. to join us. And as always, yes. 
there will be more to come. Yes.